Welcome to Splainin', a podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but don't. I'm Evan Smith. And I'm Jeff Sims. Welcome to episode eight of season two, Jeffrey. My God, how far along are we now? Who um, thought? My God, well, there's 32 in season one plus the bonus, so we're like 41. That's crazy. We're like grain, we're getting a little bit of a gut. We're really, uh, we're starting it's... to, we're wondering like what car we should buy to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> yeah, fact. Awkward segue, but talking about cars that old people bought to make them feel better. Uh, guess who just? Uh, <laughs> guess on a more serious note. Uh, guess who just got into a car accident today? Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. My mom was, told me. Yeah, I was just uh, I was looking at it right before we got started, and I said, "You know what? I bet Evan doesn't know about this. I'll tell him." Well, you, you know what? You'd Lisa be too busy being a father. Yeah, Lisa beat you to it by about like seventeen minutes. What do you mean? When Har- well, Harrison was in the tub, and I was talking to my mom on the phone, and she told me. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. okay. Well, well done, I guess. But anyways, he got into a car accident, which is not good. I said, this is the worst thing now that could happen in 2021. It's the same thing that happened last year with uh, Kobe Bryant dying at the first thing of 2020. Set the tone for a brilliant, gorgeous year. And unfortunately now, uh, Tiger Woods is off to do the same thing. I mean, he's not been doing so great regardless. Uh, he's had the comeback. Has he? Yes. Like, what do we say comeback in terms of like, the the thing is when you're Tiger or when you're like somebody like that, a comeback implies you come back to like the level you were like previously playing at. He's not going to like win the Masters again. I mean, he could. Well, not against. Nah. mm -hmm. Yeah, no, probably not. Yeah. I mean, like when you're comparing someone who's like 20 to 21 in their prime of being. That's what I mean. A professional athlete. And then you go on a big, you know, alcohol and drug binge and. To everything he did, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's hard to ever go back to that. Plus, he had multiple back surgeries and knee surgeries, and yeah. he was rode off for a long time. So, I, I guess, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, you know, still better than me. <laughs> That's for damn well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to bring myself into it. But no, um, So, what happened? He Was he drunk or something? That's uncertain. No one, oh. no one really knows. But it was at seven twelve a.m., which yeah. at first glance, I was like, ah, so he must have just been, you know, driving to work but then i was like no his work is golf and i was like really confused i was like so hopefully it's not drugs right um but i mean god only knows at this point people have done worse things at seven o'clock in the morning <laughs> fact perhaps he was just going home yeah that that actually could be it yep. he could have just a long night yeah don't who's to say he was at the putting range it's like practicing yeah. like, this is going to be the year <laughs> Yeah, he's actually being a fantastic father and was going to get a birthday gift for his <laughs> yeah. child. And we're here just being like, this guy's a drug addict. <laughs> he was doing the wash and accidentally threw like the white bunny in with his red underwear and like dyed the bunny. <laughs> so he was going to Toys R Us to get a new bunny. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. He was going to the food bank to, to make soup for all the homeless people in, in the Los Angeles area. <laughs> We are terrible people. Yeah, we're really horrible people. But that's it. Listen, um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have your cake and eat it too, Jeff. We're still in this whole um, lockdown, as they call it. The um, what's the thing? Level five. Yeah, but what's the thing? The uh, circuit breaker. Circuit breaker. Cigarette. Breaker breaker. Um, And I have a small correction that I said last week. It doesn't have anything to do Mm. with content. It's just no. that I said, it was Wednesday yes. when we recorded, and I said, my God, we've been in lockdown for a week already, and I'll throw mm-hmm. you under the bus with me. You agreed. 
Oh, didn't I? Catherine pointed out, in fact, lockdown lockdown began on Friday. Yes. So even though five days had passed, it had felt like it was a week. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Maybe we were in there for one full work week, which is five business days. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Well, for you, that actually checks out because your business days are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, that's actually correct. Yes. Yeah. So well, maybe that's why. You know, we're both yeah, on there your we clock. Go. Yes, exactly. My work week, we were in there in lockdown for a full five business days. So take that, <laughs> Catherine. Corrections corner. <laughs> yeah, fiance. Corrections <laughs> corner, Catherine. Ooh, I like that. We should call it Catherine's corner from now on. Ooh, I think she'd like that. Would she? Would she like if we named something after her that was like annoying us because she was picking on us? Mm, yeah, maybe not. Although, yeah, no, she wouldn't. And and would it also then imply that she would have to each week then correct us? And if she no, didn't, she could, it was no she could choose not to. And then life is better okay. for us. Maybe she'll have her own little spin-off podcast. Like, you know, when, when <laughs> Catherine's Corner, Catherine's Corner. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm going to correct the guys. I don't know. Um, Good idea? Of, Bad idea? Who's to say? I don't know. I think, I mean, she's delightful. She was delightful on the episode she was on. Wasn't she? Yeah, she really was. Um, speaking of spinoffs, have you watched WandaVision? No. I talked about that uh, with Catherine today, actually, because we're doing the whole Marvel movie stretch. Oh, like I right. told you about that. Well, then wait. You can't watch it until Catherine has seen it all. Oh, yeah, no, no, me too. Well, yeah. we, we both agreed. Well, actually, I don't think anyone can watch it now. It's literally crashed Disney servers like seven times. I watched imagine, it last night. Imagine the magnitude of people watching something to the point where it crashes Disney's database and their actual like frame. I didn't like, know that that crazy. happened. Yeah. My, uh, my buddy at work was trying to watch it. He had his Apple TV... D- connected directly through ethernet like an ethernet cable to his modem and it still took about eight to nine minutes for the video to load like it just crashed that's so everything. weird i haven't had an issue but see i never watch it like the night it comes out or the day it comes out because yeah. that's just not how my life works i'm always behind but i am like i'm never more than an episode behind i'm just a few days behind so like i watched it yes. last night no problem Mm-hmm. No, anyway, I think I think it's the timing. But yeah, anyways, I want to watch it. I oh my yet. god, Jeff, it's so good. I mean, I oh, I love fantastic. it. I think it's fantastic, and it's like it's delightful in that. Like, I'll just tell you this premise, although you may already know it. So, each episode is like a, a episode of a sitcom from a time period. Okay, it's not just that. There's more to it that I won't say because I don't want to spoil anything. But like, and it, it makes fun of. That like like the first episode feels very like bewitched like 1950s 60s black and yes, white that, that sort of comedy, um you know that goes up to the 90s so it feels very like Boy Meets World. There's one of the 80s that feels very like Family Matters. Cool. Um, it's really cool. It's delightful. They do it so well, and the acting styles change, like the actors change to fit the style. It's really it's so well done, and of course it is because it's Disney and they threw like tens of billions of dollars at it and like make this good. Yeah, that's like when we saw Aladdin on Broadway. I was like, there's no way this can't be good because you're taking Disney's budget and you're throwing it on a Broadway show. Well, exactly. And now, not to mention either, I only found out recently that the woman who plays Wanda is the sister of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Oh, she's the other Olsen. Did you know that? No, I didn't. So she's the same Wanda who plays in all the Avengers movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, she's, she's their sister. 
Interesting. I didn't know they had a sister. I didn't either. She's way more talented than they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's great. I love her acting. Well, you know, to each their own. To I think own. I think the uh, the Olsen twins are uh, underrated, actually. Well, they were great as children. I'm not going to lie. They were talented children actors. Yeah. Or child actors. Like the, the pizza song? Give me pizza! <laughs> P-I-Z-Z-A. Yeah. I pizza! used to love... Uh, there was a Halloween one called uh, Double... Double Double Boil in Trouble or yeah, something yeah, like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a great movie. Love that. Do you remember the the one I god, I wish it, it's one of their like solving uh mystery ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe what it could have been one of their Christmas specials. And one of the twins are outside and this this gentleman is on the side of the street playing the saxophone. He has his case open. Mm-hmm. And and like instead of throwing him like a tip, she takes a chicken wing and throws a chicken wing into the case. I do remember that. And it's it's a it's a black gentleman playing the saxophone, and there's this like really weird undertone of racism of like black people like chicken wings, and right. it's this very it's a very weird moment. And I saw someone post a meme about it, being like, "Is anyone going to acknowledge how racist this is?" <laughs> hey man, it was the nineties. We can acknowledge everything, and it was all racist. Yeah, yeah. How funny, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, man, bringing them back, bring them back. Whatever happened to predictability? Um, well, Jeff, why don't you start things off with um, the magic that you're going to explain today? Yes. So uh, last episode, we actually brought it up. And strangely enough, uh, Catherine and I talked about it at supper um, a couple of nights ago as well. Uh, but this week, I'm talking about... And this is going to be sounding strange. <laughs> involuntary bodily functions. It does sound very strange. It sounds very strange because uh, it makes it sound like an episode about poop, but it's not about poop. You're not going to mention poop once other than the two times you just mentioned? Well, I might throw it in there once or twice, but uh, it's not directly about poop. Should you have like a cap of the amount of times you can say poop? Because you've already used three. Let's talk. Let's let the audience count. And (laughs) whoever gets it right gets a bag of bubble gum or something. Okay. There we go. It's a little, it's a little uh, task for you folks. All right. So when we talked about involuntary bodily functions, we <laughs> talked about things that <laughs> give it up. Uh, it kind of explains it in the title itself on things that um, you don't necessarily have control. <laughs> give it up. <laughs> do you want to just do a full episode on poop? No, I really don't. No. Okay. Well, I might. Yes. Okay. So give it up. Um. So first off, uh, Evan, with these uh, involuntary bodily things, um, which ones were you kind of interested in knowing about? Like, where did this kind of spawn this conversation? Well, you had mentioned, like, coughing, sneezing. Yeah. Um, And I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. And also, because there's so many, the thing with coughing is there's so many reasons that you cough. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Yep. Well, like, when you have a cough and like that. Anyway. And then, um, and then I thought about um, like itching when something itches. Yeah. Like why? Especially when it's like the itch you can't scratch, like not physically because you can't reach it, but like if you scratch it, but it doesn't get better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, tickling. Why are some people ticklish? And why are some people ticklish only at certain times? Like Harrison is very ticklish, and Harrison likes to be tickled because uh, mm. that's another thing with children. Is like there's this whole like movement now where it's like you know, children felt like they were being tickled, but like they it was also sort of a scary thing. Like they had to, have you seen articles about this? Yes. I'm about to get into it, but if oh. you want to keep going, I'll just talk about poop. <laughs> anyway, I, it's on my mind because of Harrison, but Harrison's always like, tickle me again. But like, sometimes he's not ticklish. 
And sometimes he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have a list of um, involuntary bodily functions Great. Um, that I'm going to go through. So first off, I'm going to start with sneezing okay. and kind of where sneezing comes from and what's its deal. So sneezing is one of our body's most common reactions, but we don't often take the time to stop and think about how and why it happens. Right. Seizing is simply an involuntary release of air that helps the body to get rid of irritants in our nose and throat, like allergens, dirt, and dust. Yes, yeah. straightforward. Uh, so triggers can range from dirt, debris, and even nasal sprays to sudden exposure to bright light, nose trauma, or breathing cold air. We may sneeze when we breathe cold air because our nasal mucus dries up and can crack, which triggers the same kind of response in the nerves in our nose as common irritants like dust. Oh. Yeah. So I will, strangely enough, will only sneeze if I go outside and look up. Or if I'm, like, inside. <laughs> but only if it's sunny or in general? No, like, in general. Like, if I'm, like, I got a sneeze coming, I have to look up and, like, take a deep breath through my nose. So I think it's the cold air and the sun that does it for me. Remember, we, we went for a walk today. I sneezed, like, a hundred times the second I got out of the car. Okay, but let me clarify something. When yeah. you said you'll only sneeze, like, if you are inside and you feel the urge to sneeze, you have to walk outside and look up? <laughs> No, sorry. I definitely have to look up. Oh, okay. Or, or like I'll run to a window and look up at the sky at like the sun or something. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> sorry, bye. Uh, I, I feel like I look down when I'm about to sneeze. I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. And I look down, I think. No, no, I got to look up. Okay. Um, in a 2019 study published in Scientific Reports, researchers found that a type of sneezing can be induced by bright light also known as uh, phoetic sneeze reflex, uh, which is an inherited genetic trait. Oh. They looked, yeah, they looked at more than 3,400 people in China and found an association between the phoetic sneeze reflex and specific genes. This reflex, which is also called, now bear with me a minute, autosomal dominant compulsive heliothalmic, uh, 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 sorry, ophthalmic outbursts by you were doing so well you were almost to the finish line almost yeah autosomal that's a weird word to say anyways autosomal autosomal dominant compulsive helio ophthalmic outbursts otherwise known as a chew syndrome no <laughs> a c h o o a chew i'm gonna call no i can't i'm not gonna call bullshit you can call bullshit if you want. I'm but not going to because you couldn't have made up that words. I, uh, I made up a lot of words, first off. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't. <laughs> Unintentionally. So, you made up cork. Cork. Uh, I also made up uh, Buddy's name. Um, oh, the eye guy. The eye guy. Not only did I make up his name, I made up the entire disorder. Yeah, but the disorder just had his name in it. So what? <laughs> so you made up one word and threw it in another word. <laughs> <laughs> okay frig off <laughs> anyways it causes uncontrollable ref uh reflexive sneezing when there's exposure uncontrollable when there is bright light and occurs in one out of every four people Wait. in the study it was seen as 30 percent of men and 21 percent of women when you say uncontrollable you don't mean like you just continue to sneeze and you can't stop you mean like you uncontrollably sneeze at least once correct the latter right okay yeah. Uh, the sneeze reflex starts with the irritation of the nasal lining as sensed by the cilia when a foreign particle enters your nose. 
It may interact with the tiny hairs and delicate skin that line your nasal passage. When the delicate lining of your nose experiences the first tinge of a foreign substance, it sends an electric signal to your brain. This signal tells your brain that the nose needs to clear itself. Next up in the process is the triggering of two different nerve signals. One is dispatched via motor nerves to the pharyngeal, laryngeal, and respiratory muscles, causing us to sneeze. Hmm. The other is transmitted via the parasympathetic nervous system, increasing nasal and tear secretion. Just before you sneeze, pressure builds up in your chest as your chest muscles compress your lungs. Your vocal folds close. When your folds suddenly open again, air is driven up your respiratory tract and through your nose at a high speed. Your eyes shut and your diaphragm moves upward as your chest muscles contract, releasing air from your lungs. That air allows thousands of droplets to project from your nose and mouth as, uh, as a way to get rid of the allergen or the irritant. That's so messed up. So like, It's so messed up. And also the fact that your eyes close. Like, did you hear when you were a kid, like, if you sneeze with your eyes open, your eyes would pop out? Yeah. Is that true, I wonder? Well, Evan, here's a true and false question for you. <gasps> can you sneeze with your eyes open? I don't think you can. Like, okay, so like if, if someone was whole, like if your eyes are being held open, what would happen? You'd still sneeze. Well, so I'm going to say so, yes, you can sneeze with your eyes open. Yes. You can indeed with your eyes open. And no, they will not pop out of your head. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but you would have to do so consciously. Because you would be indeed trying to override an automatic reflex. Part of the re- if you just let things go the way they go, you close your eyes. You have to actively fight the reflex of closing your eyes, but you can sneeze with your eyes open. I have done it, and my eyes are still in my head. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. So things you learned about sneezing. <laughs> uh, next up is coughing. Yes. Coughing, cough. Coughing, coughing. Wheezing, wheeze. <laughs> uh, for anyone who doesn't know, me and Evan uh, used to play Pokemon Go a lot. And we used to go around just making those noises. And no shame. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of shame. A little bit of shame. Uh, so coughing. Coughing is a common reflex action that clears your throat of mucus or foreign irritants. Very similar to sneezing, it is a reflex from the body based on foreign irritants that sh- really shouldn't just be there. Um, that being said, the reflex is more specific to your throat and chest regions as opposed to your nasal cavity, which was sneezing. Mm-hmm. Coughing is a standard way of clearing your throat. When your airways become clogged with mucus or foreign particles, such as smoke or dust, a cough is a reflex uh, reaction that attempts to clear the particles and make breathing easier. The most common causes of a cough are respiratory tract infection, such as a cold or flu. Smoking is a common cause of coughing. A cough caused by smoking is almost always a chronic cough with a distinct sound. It's often known as a smoker's cough. <laughs> cough. A common cause of coughing in young children is asthma. Uh, Typically, asthmatic coughing involves wheezing, making it easy to identify. Wheezing, wheeze. (laughs) (laughs) Wheeze. (laughs) Some medications will also cause coughing, although this is generally a rare side effect. Other conditions that may cause a cough cough include damage to your vocal folds, postnasal drip, and serious conditions such as pulmonary embolism and heart failure. Yikes. Uh, another common you condition... You cough if you have heart failure? 
Yeah. Oh, man. Wait for this. Another common condition that can cause a chronic cough is the condition stomach contents. Uh... Oh, I erased the actual word. Hilarious. <laughs> I was say that sentence did not check out. No, that sentence did no. Uh, so the common condition is like acid reflux. Okay. Um, in this condition, stomach uh, contents flow back into the esophagus. This backflow stimulates a reflux in the trachea, causing the person to cough. Um that's weird. I don't know why I erased the word. Uh, yeah, so heart failure. So I actually went on a tangent after, like midway through my research of being like, uh, how the hell? Um, at first, I was like, so if you're having a heart attack yourself or heart failure or something like that, and you're like by yourself and you have no one to do chest compressions and you know what's happening, um, I heard, and it's, you know people say, that you should try coughing. Like oh. actively coughing because that will actually cause your your chest to contract and expand and therefore pump the blood naturally that way instead of somebody else doing it like chest compressions right uh, and if you do it steady enough like it'll also rush blood back to your to your brain to your head and keep you conscious for longer as well um it's similar to hooking like major or um like air pilots like military air pilots and where they're going like Mach 1, like when they're going like faster than the speed of sound, like they're going stupid, stupid fast and they start losing consciousness because the blood is running to different parts of the body and not running to the brain. They ha- they hold on to this handle and they start going and it rushes the blood back up to the head in order to keep consciousness. Otherwise, they'll pass out while they're flying. Um, <laughs> what? That sounds horribly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. Um, but that's part of the rigorous training of having to go through these like crazy G-forces when you're flying. I'll say. Um, but anyways, I thought it had something to do with that, that the body just subconsciously goes, uh, your heart's not breathing there, bud. No one's doing ha-ha, staying alive and doing chest compressions <laughs> on you. So like, start coughing, old man. That's what I figured it was. No, but what ends up happening is uh, because the blood isn't pumping through the body appropriately, there's an actual backfill of liquid. A lot of it is uh, old blood that didn't get circulated, and then it backs up into the lungs, and it causes um, uh, it's, it's see some, something heart failure. C C H F. Um, damn, why didn't I write that down? The blood backs up into your lungs. Not the blood necessarily, but other liquids and other other oh. things. God, why didn't I write that down? That's so CHF. Yeah, CHF. Con- con- congestive heart failure. Congestive heart failure. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, uh-huh. congestive heart failure. Yeah, I'm really good um, with acronyms. Aren't you? Yes, but you can't. Uh, you can't spell a word if I. Tell <laughs> no, I can only. I can only spell things that like are, don't make a word like CHF. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, but I found that incredibly interesting. Yeah, very interesting, so, and also terrifying. Co- yeah, so coughing and sneezing, although we feel like we have no control over them, and they're just there, and they're annoying, and it is what it is, they actually have very specific uh, biological reasonings behind them. Yes, and um, also like a sneeze is kind of a cough through your nose. That's exactly it. Yeah. They're both just your body being like, hey, there's something in here that shouldn't be in here. Out you go. Yeah, I wish just my like body when did that with Mary Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that'd be a tragedy if you would just yeah, spit true. it out all the time. Uh, so let's talk about what you said about a minute ago, about itching. Okay. So I literally itch, scratched myself as you said that. Of course, now I'm scratching my nose. Yeah. Uh, an itch, also known as pruritus. I wonder, a... sorry to interrupt you, I wonder okay. if how many people, once you said that, because like I actually just scratched myself like three more times. I wonder if once you said itch, how many people had to like involuntarily scratch themselves? Like the power of suggestion. 
Yeah, that's and that's that's crazy too. There's uh, there's something about that in one of my uh, later ones that I'll talk about. One of your what? Oh, later ones. One of, okay. one of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's called uh, pruritus. It's a general sensation arising from the irritation of skin cells or nerve cells associated with the skin. While it can be a nuisance, uh, pruritus serves as an important sensory and self-protective mechanism, as do other skin sensations, you know, such as yeah, touch, pain, uh, hot and cold, those kinds of things. It can right. alert us to harmful external agents, but can become unbearable if not treated. Mm-hmm. So to stop the constant need to scratch your scalp, back, or any other area of your body, you need to know why you get itchy in the first place. Right. So itching is caused by a complex interaction between cells of the skin and our nervous system. So various cell types, proteins, and inflammatory mediators are involved. Chemicals released in the skin send a message to your spine through nerves in the skin. Then the spine communicates with the brain, and we become itchy. One of the most common causes of itch on the skin is dry skin, which causes microfractures within the skin barrier. Mm-hmm. When this happens, local inflammation from cell signaling occurs, and chemicals like histamine and kininess are released. So mm. I didn't know that histamine was a chemical that we just had in our bodies. I thought histamine was part of like a reactionary thing to like allergens and stuff. Or like and wine. Like, you- like wine is a histamine. Wine is a histamine. The Catherine's gonna die. Catherine and Tiffany are gonna die laughing because every time we drink wine, we're like, "Do you know? I'm right snuffed up there now." It, the wine's a histamine. I've said wine is a histamine in my life. <laughs> Tiffany actually dies. <laughs> I can hear them rolling their eyes now, and they're not even listening. Yeah. Um, but I I didn't know that histamine was an active chemical in your body. Right. That you have uh, that can actually. So it makes sense. So when your skin gets it, uh, when your skin gets dry and breaks down, it releases histamine and kininess, and they're both released onto the the top of the skin. Right. Uh, this causes tissue redness, swelling, and nerve irritation, uh, and they are interpreted by our body as itch. Mm-hmm. So hives, irritants, or contact exposures on the skin can lead to a somewhat similar phenomenon as dry skin. If you think about it, scratching is a type of pain yet we rely on it to get rid of the itch. When we scratch, we send low-level pain signals to the brain. These pain signals temporarily distract the brain from the itch. These pain (laughs) signals also release serotonin in the brain, which uh, really is, you know, really good. Uh, But serotonin also resets the itch's signal. In some cases, this can actually create a never-ending itch-scratch cycle. Yeah, that has happened to me before. Yeah, I think that's happened to everybody. Yeah. Um, if you know the source of the itch, choosing the right remedy can help speed up the healing process. The best way to eliminate scratching is not to start. As hard mm. as that is and how, how hard that is that sounds, sorry, it can often amplify the intensity of the itch. Hence and that's chicken why it's important. pox. Mm-hmm. It's important to identify the underlying cause of the itch so that it can be treated appropriately. Mm. One night, my, I had, before I got my special creams and shampoos and stuff to sort out whatever was going on with me, um, I went to the pharmacy one night. I just like left. It was like 1030 and I was like, Tiffany, I got to go to the pharmacy and just like talk to a pharmacist and see if I can get something from my head. My head was so itchy. Yeah. I actually like could not focus on anything in life. Well, there you go. And that's if you kept itching, it would have um, made it worse, technically. Scratching, you mean? Yeah. 
sorry, yes. Itching. If I say itching, I, I mean scratching, which is right. ironic because itch is what you're trying to get rid of with the scratch. Right. You're like, so you're like scratching I got to itch, itch it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Uh, so, yeah, so that's itching. And uh, it, it seems involuntary, but it's actually very voluntary. Hmm. Um, I'm glad it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just because it's like, it's unpleasant. It's not nice. Nope. Uh, so let's talk about twitches for a second. Oh, from an itch to a twitch. Itch to a twitch. Uh, so muscle twitches are caused by our muscles tightening up, which is contracting, involuntarily. In other words, when we're not actually controlling them. Right. Muscle twitches can happen for lots of reasons, like stress, too much caffeine, a poor diet, exercise, or as a side effect of some medicines. Do you have any twitches? Uh, like active right now, or like well, like in general, like do you have some that show up from time to time? Mm, no, no, not really. I have my right, my yeah, my right eye. If I like, if I'm particularly stressed, um, and therefore probably fatigued, uh, my right eye will twitch like a bat out of hell. Interesting. It's brutal. It's so irritating. I've had like twitches before like my calf has twitched on me and like yeah like my abdomen has twitched and like my eye like i'm sure everybody's eyes twitched at some point yeah um but none like actively reoccurring like oh i got a long week of work here goes the eye again right yeah that has that you happens know? to me when i when exactly in that situation as you just described <laughs> got a long hilarious. week there goes my eye and for the there whole week the eye. My, yeah Funny. No, that's interesting. Uh, so lots of people get twitches in the eyelid, thumb, or calf muscles. These types of twitches usually go away after a few days. They're often related to stress or anxiety. Thumb? Did you say thumb? Thumb. Interesting. Yes, I did say thumb. I don't know why. So eyelid twitching is called myokemia. These random twitches, uh, which can feel faint or really bug you, happen on the upper or the lower lid. Triggers range from stress, smoking, to wind, bright light, too much caffeine, or lack of sleep. Though annoying, the twitches are harmless and usually go away quite quickly. Did you say one of the triggers is wind? Yeah. So it's not a twitch that your your wind just blew your (laughs) eyelid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my coat just twitched in the wind. (laughs) I wish my hair would stop twitching. My God, it was nice when I left the house. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Bye. I guess I could just prompt it. I don't know. It's like getting the motor started. <laughs> yep. Oh, funny. Uh, so your muscles depend on minerals like potassium and magnesium to work properly. If you're running low on them, your body actually sends you a message with cramps and spasms, which are annoying in themselves. Oh, good old Charlie horse in the leg. Oh, I get bad in the in the the crease of my foot and my oh calf. yeah same. i've woken up in the middle of the night and had to jump out of bed and stand on my foot to stretch it out i can't like even move when it agony happens. i can't even agony. move yeah yeah it's bad um so your body sends you the message with cramps and spasms exercise or heavy sweating can deplete you um, but some medications can t- as well similar to this a lack of water or dehydration can cause this as well it's all based on electrolytes so if you are running low on electrolytes it could also cause the twitching as well gatorade muscle <laughs> it sounded like you were singing the theme to batman gatorade gatorade <laughs> <laughs> gotta get me some gatorade drink it now into bed no more cramps in the head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to cut that song. 
<laughs> uh, so twitching muscles in the hands and feet can be one of the early symptoms of a condition called amyotropic lateral sclerosis, Ooh. which is ALS. Um, oh, really? It, I didn't know that's what ALS stood for. Yeah, uh, amyotropic. Uh, amyotropic? Amyotropic. Uh, it happens because the nerves uh, that send the messages from the brain and spinal cord to the muscles, they stop working. They send irregular messages before they stop sending them completely. Another option is neuropathy. When nerve cells are damaged, it changes the way they communicate with each other and with the brain. Twitches and spasms can be warning signs that this common condition is affecting the nerves that control your muscles. Some people are born with it, and it can happen because of an injury, infection, disease, alcoholism, and sometimes medications as well. Diabetes is the leading cause of neuropathy, which is unfortunate. Um, so. so then there is myoclonus, which refers to sudden, brief, involuntary twitching or jerking of a muscle or a group of muscles. It describes a clinical sign and is not itself a disease. The twitching cannot be stopped or controlled by the person experiencing it. So myoclonic twitches or jerks usually are caused by sudden muscle contractions uh, called, ca sorry, called positive myoclonus or by muscle relaxation called negative myoclonus. Okay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Mm, well, what else is new? Mm. Myoclonic jerks may occur, like you, alone or in sequence <laughs> well done. in a pattern <laughs> Thank you. Pattern of movement or without pattern. They may occur infrequently or many times per minute. Myoclonus sometimes happens in response to an external event or when a person attempts to make a movement. Most myoclonus is caused by a disturbance of the brain or spinal cord, the central nervous system. Although rare... Myoclonus may be caused by an injury to the peripheral nervous system as well, uh, which would include different organs and muscles that relay the information from and to the central nervous system. Right. Myoclonus can occur by itself or as one of several symptoms associated with a wide variety of nervous system disorders. For example, myoclonic jerks may develop in individuals with multiple sclerosis or epilepsy, and with neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, or Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Yikes, there's so many diseases. There's so many diseases. Damn. It's quite uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, the majority of them are... Like, they're all linked together. There's just small variations of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, your leg shakes, but you can take it back out again. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> you can shake it all about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I figure that's where you're going with it. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So myoclonus may also be seen in conjunction with infection, head or spinal cord injury, stroke, brain tumors, uh, kidney or liver failure, uh, chemical or drug intoxication, or metabolic disorders. Prolonged oxygen deprivation to the brain, called hypoxia, may lead to post-hypoxic myoclonus. Studies suggest that several locations in the brain are involved in myoclonus. Uh, the cerebral cortex is the most common origin for myoclonus. Uh, another location is in the brain stem close to structures that are responsible for the startle response, an automatic reaction to an unexpected stimulus involving rapid muscle contraction. Hmm. The specific mechanisms underlying 
Myoclonus are not yet fully really understood. Scientists believe that some types of stimulus sensitive myoclonus may involve overexcitability of the parts of the brain that control movement. Laboratory studies suggest that an imbalance between chemicals called neurotransmitters may bring about myoclonus, with the end result being a lack of inhibition, a decrease in the rate of chemical reaction or its prevention at some level. Neurotransmitters carry messages between nerve cells. They're released by one nerve cell and attached to a protein called receptor on the neighboring receiving cells. This attachment signals the receiving cell to act in a certain way. An interesting form of myoclonus is sleep myoclonus, or hypnic jerks. Do you know this one? Uh, not like sleepwalking. Like, you're just jerking your sleep? Yeah. <laughs> You're just an asshole in your dreams. Uh, so the phenomenon is so named in reference to the hypnagogic state, the transitional period between wakefulness and sleep. I feel like you uh, mean hypnagogic or whatever. That is correct. It, yeah. Hypnagogic state. Yep, you're right. So hypnagogic jerks are also commonly known as hypnic jerks or sleep starts. Ooh, so, okay. Have you oh, ever been like, oh. like yes. right before you fall asleep, and your whole body is like, yes. whoa? Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And you like, you felt like you were falling for a millisecond. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, hate yeah, those because yeah, yeah. I'm always. It's always like I don't get to sleep quickly these days. No. Um, and then also when I do, the baby wakes up. So like, if I'm almost asleep and then that happens, oh, buddy, yep. rotted. <clears> then and I can't back to sleep because I'm turned, turned with the townies. Yeah, you're hypnotic jerk. Um, so the muscle spasms may actually occur spontaneously or may be induced by sound, light, or other external stimuli. <laughs> Some people report that hypnic jerks accompanied by hallucinations, dreams, the sensation of falling, or bright lights or loud noises coming from inside your head. Oh. Yeah. Some scientists believe certain factors such as stress, anxiety, fatigue, caffeine, and sleep deprivation may increase the frequency or severity of hypnic jerks. But conclusion, uh, sorry, but conclusive research is lacking on the subject. Mm. So, pretty well, if you're Evan Smith, you're going to have lots of these. Yeah, kind of. What you were describing, I was like, check, check, <laughs> check. Yep. So, one hypothesis says that hypnic jerks are a natural part of the body's transition from alertness to sleep and occur when nerves misfire during this process. Right. Another popular idea takes a more evolutionary approach to hypnic jerks, explaining that these spasms are an ancient primate reflex to the relaxation of muscles during the onset of sleep. The brain essentially misinterprets the relaxation as a sign that the sleeping primate is falling out of a tree and causes the muscles to quickly react. Wow, that's Isn't interesting. That interesting. Yeah. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, living in the wild, like if you were falling asleep and you were like in danger or something, it would be like jerk you awake. But uh, that's even But cooler, then you never get to sleep, yeah. So like yeah. as a primate, you're in a tree and it's like you relax too much and you fall out of the tree. It's like, wake up, bitch. <laughs> That's great. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, so that's all of that one. So next we move to cold shivers. Oh, yeah. So like, it's like when you when you shiver, you get the goosebumps, but it comes in like one little wave of like... Like you basically shiver. do like what your dog does when it shakes its, like shakes water off of it. I think you, you watch like you watch the shake go from its head down to its tail. 
Um, like that's what I feel like when I get a cold shiver. I'm just like, like it goes right down to my toes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, it was an analogy, if you will. Uh, yes, and I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, so a shiver is caused by your muscles tightening and relaxing in rapid succession. This involuntary muscle movement is your body's natural response to getting colder and trying to warm up. Oh. So, yeah, when the temperature drops below a level your body finds comfortable, you may start to shiver. Visible shivering can boost your body's surface heat production by about 500%. That's wild. That not that isn't that wild? Yeah. We talked about it a little bit uh, during our episode on why some people feel warmer or colder in areas right. and others don't. Yes. Um, so shivering can only warm you up for so long. Right. Uh, after a few hours, your muscles will run out of glucose for fuel and will grow too tired and obviously contract and release and relax. Um, each person has their own temperature at which shivering starts. For example, children without much body fat to insulate them may begin shivering in response to warmer temperatures than an adult with more body fat. Right. Which obviously makes sense. The connection between a full-on shivering episode, we'll call it, and a singular cold shiver can be explained by when we actually get them. They are often produced by singular gusts of wind, sudden and brief changes in temperature, or a sudden onset of certain environmental stimuli. The body reacts to the stimulus as if it were consistent and constant, and starts the shivering process, but soon realizes that it is a temporary stimulus and therefore no longer continues the shivering. Oh, so it's like the uh, sort of like too hot out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, Jesus, she's cold. Start to shiver. Yep, starting to shivering right away, John. Start to shiver. <laughs> and then immediately shuts the lever off. They're like, oh, false alarm, false alarm. <laughs> Turn off the shiver. Shut off the shiver. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a little cold shivers for you. Cool. But most of the time it comes from like you readjust your body a little bit and release a little bit. You get too cold or something or right. you a little gust comes in or God only knows. Yeah. And you just go, ooh, and that's it. It's done. Your body starts to shivering and then you're like, no, bye. No need for it, old man. Give it How up. interesting. Interesting. Uh, let's move on to hiccups. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you, Are you going to so, tell us cures for hiccups as well? Maybe. Um Hiccups are involuntary contractions of the diaphragm, which is something I didn't know. Nor did I. The muscle that separates your chest from your abdomen and plays an important role in breathing. Yes. Each contraction is followed by a sudden closure of your vocal folds, which then produces the characteristic hiccup sound. Yep. Right. So that sound actually comes from the uh, closing of your folds. I mean, all of your sounds come from that. Like last week on the on the podcast, remember on our break, I had the hiccups. Yes, exactly. Um, so normally, the diaphragm pulls down when you in- inhale to let air into your lungs, mm-hmm. and then relaxes when you exhale, so air can flow back out of the lungs to exit your nose and mouth. Yeah. But if something irritates your diaphragm, it can spasm, forcing you to suddenly suck air into your throat. Your vocal folds suddenly close, creating the distinct hiccup sound. So that's what it is. It's a spasm of your diaphragm, nothing else. And what causes it to spasm? So hiccups can happen for a lot of reasons, Evan Smith. Okay. Some of them are physical and some are emotional. That's oh. because the, Yeah, that's because the, you you've offended your diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> you pissed it off. He's like, "Frig you now." 
<laughs> You're at the movies. He's like, oh, everybody's going to hate you before you leave. Yeah. Remember that time last Thursday you told me to frig off? Well, here we go. You pissed off the wrong muscle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's because the actual irritation happens in the nerve connecting the brain to the diaphragm. Some common causes include eating too much or too quickly, Mm -hmm. feeling nervous or excited, drinking carbonated beverages or too much alcohol, stress, a sudden change in temperature, or swallowing air while sucking on candy or chewing gum. Right. So pretty well all of these, every single thing that I've mentioned so far, the commonality is too much stress, being nervous or excited, uh, and sudden changes of temperature. So I wonder if there's a world where you could start having a cold shiver, you could start waking (laughs) up in the middle of the night, have tremors, twitching, itching, and having hiccups all at once because you're stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then when you hiccup, you suck in some dust and have a sneeze and a cough. <laughs> Can you imagine that suck? By what would be what, uh, would, so what Evan, do you call that if you were like to name a thing that is all those at once? Mm, I feel like it would have a lot of consonants. Well, remember how you said you're really good at making acronyms? Yes. Now's your time, buddy. <laughs> okay, it would be called. Tune in a, next week, Evans. This is going to be a hard go. It'd be called a. Sh- sh- <laughs> All right, patent it. Patent okay. it right now. I just tried to put it in as many consonants as I could without putting it in a vowel. Yeah, that's hard. Um, funny. So, Evan, why don't you tell me some ways to get rid of hiccuping? Well, this is what I do. Okay. It is... Um, 10 quick sips of water, and therefore you're sort of holding your breath because you don't give yourself time to breathe. So you're kind of holding your breath at the same time as drinking. Sure. Um, And that's it. That's all you do? That's what I do. I know some people just hold their breath. Some people just drink water. Sure. So some common things are hanging upside down, telling a friend to scare you. um, Oh, yeah. So which would be a sudden intake of breath or something. Yeah. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, there's actually no scientific proof that any of these remedies actually work. Well, then I However, haven't finished my study yet. No. <laughs> I'm waiting for your 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 journal. Although, this. having said that, it only works for me. Like, I, Tiffany had the hiccups last night, and I told her to do it, and it didn't work. Yeah. But it, it works so, every time for me. Sometimes, and or sorry, some experts think holding your breath or breathing into a paper bag might actually do the trick. Um, because both techniques... Uh, make carbon dioxide build up into your lungs, which actually will lead the diaphragm to relax. Hmm. Yeah. Um, because it's just a spasm of the diaphragm, and that's what carbon dioxide does. It relaxes the diaphragm because when you have carbon dioxide in the lungs, the diaphragm relaxes and allows the air to go out of your lungs. Do you know what I mean? Like it tricks yes. it back into yeah, yeah. that normal uh, sink movement, secular movement. Right. Um, cyclic movement uh if all else fails and your hiccups continue for several days or more your doctor may actually be able to prescribe you medications to see an end to your uncomfortable hiccups could you imagine having the hiccups for days that would be terrible it must like actually hurt after a while like that oh yeah and also like and mentally you would just be so done imagine waking up in the middle of the night hiccuping oh god or never be able to sleep you finally get to sleep And then you're like, okay, well, that's, you know, they'll be gone now. When I wake up, they'll they'll be gone. Then you wake up and you've still got them. Yeah. Yeah. You got hiccups. You think you're falling out of a tree. Like, (laughs) 
I don't know which one's worse. It wasn't a hiccup. It was the sound of you hitting the floor. <laughs> uh, yawning, which yes. is what you are probably doing right about now. Well, I um, do this so much, especially on Tuesdays, because I teach voice all day. <laughs> so, and not, no, I'm not yawning because I'm bored. I'm yawning because I'm trying to get the, the singers to feel the sensation of. The yes. breath, the cooler at the back of the throat, relaxing the vocal tract, yes, and it's that yawning yes, yes. sensation. So because I'm yes. trying to do that all day long, I end up yawning for most of the day. Oh my god, yes. Um, so although not fully understood, yawning appears to not only be a sign of tiredness, but also a much more general sign of changing conditions within the body. Studies have shown that we yawn when we are fatigued, as well as when we are awaking, uh, and during other times during the day when the state of alert alertness is changing. Mm-hmm. So I found this one very interesting because as a, I mean, as a kid, we learned lots of things that are probably incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember everyone being like, oh, it's lack of oxygen. And I was like, okay. And I actually read a lot of different conflicting things about what yawning actually is. I also um, heard um, lack of oxygen, but also a release of tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that one as well. Yeah. Of your body just being tense and your body trying to relax everything. I was um, a chronic yawner when I was younger. Um, I might still be in a, in a way in that, um, like when I'm nervous, like if I'm backstage about to go on, I will yawn. Uh, I don't know, maybe eighty times because you're stressed. Yeah, and then you start sneezing, coughing, hiccuping, <laughs> falling asleep, twitching, all because you're stressed. Evan, are you stressed? It's a great one man show. Yeah, I bet. Um, <laughs> Evan Smith, colon, stressed. <laughs> uh, Evan Smith, so- involuntary bodily functions. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be a terrible show. Yeah, it would. Uh, anyway, so you're correct in thinking that yawns are actually contagious, like you said earlier. Uh, Unless seeing- you're a sociopath, apparently. Yes, 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 yes. I'm about to talk about that. We'll come okay. To- uh, seeing, hearing, or thinking about yawning can actually trigger the event itself. Yep. But there is little understanding of why it is actually contagious. A number of theories regarding the genius, or sorry, the genesis of yawning uh, have been presented over the years. Some evidence suggests that yawning is a means of communicating changing environmental or internal body conditions to others. If so, then its contagious nature is most likely a means of communicating within groups of animals, possibly a means of synchronized behavior. Right. If this is the case, yawning in humans is most likely vestigial and an evolutionary ancient mechanism that has lost its significance. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, like a lot of like, because a lot of animals still yawn. Um, yeah. They yawn all the time, but it, they would like as a mean of, means of communication and like synchronicity of certain functions and stuff. Right. So for many years, it was thought that yawns served to bring in more air because low oxygen levels were sensed in the lungs. We now know, however, that the lungs do not necessarily sense oxygen levels. Moreover. Uh, fetuses yawn in utero even though their their lungs aren't yet ventilating, which is interesting. That's weird. Yeah. A, they're just bored being cramped up there for nine months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, where's well, the Nintendo Switch? Here? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was uh, mobile. Why can't I bring it in here? <laughs> I thought I was supposed to get 5G everywhere. Bye. <laughs> uh, a series of experiments suggest... 
A surprising reason for yawning is to actually cool the brain. The temperature of your brain? The temperature of your brain. Wow. Maybe that's why you yawn, because your brain is just too hot. Too hot, Firing all the pistons. You got a hot brain. Um, When you start to yawn, powerful stretching of the jaw increases blood flow in the neck, face, and head. The deep intake of breath during a yawn forces downward flow of spinal fluid and blood from the brain. Cool air breathed into the mouth cools these fluids. Together, these processes may act like a radiator, revolving hot blood from the brain while introducing cooler blood from the lungs and extremities, thereby cooling the brain surfaces. (laughs) Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Mind-cooling. One of the uh, tests that they did was in Arizona, where there's such a huge fluctuation of temperature in the middle of the desert, and the night it's like freezing cold and the... Right. Day, it's stupid hot. Yeah. Um, they tested the frequency of people yawning. And you would think if it was just people being tired, they'd only yawn at the very beginning of the day and the end of the night, like right before they go to bed. Right. Uh, or if it was an oxygen level issue, it could be just sporadically throughout the day. But in fact, people yawned way more frequently during the day in the heat than they did when it was colder. Hmm. Yeah, and they did that in many other studies as well. Um, also, going back to what you said about people being uh, psychopaths or being uh, sociopaths being at lunch. Yep. Soci- sorry, sociopaths or even uh, or, psychopaths. Or psychopaths, yeah, either or. Yeah. Um, so apparently they said that uh, a good test to see if somebody is uh, – what's the word I want? I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of going off the top of my head, but I did read it is that um, to see if you're connected with somebody or to see if someone trusts you or if there's a good emotional connection with another person, Mm. is if you yawn, do they yawn? Because they're more susceptible to the suggestion of what's happening. Yes. Similar to the biological traits I mentioned earlier, that some animals will communicate certain biological traits and adaptations of what's happening based on their yawning. Uh, So if you yawn and the person next to you yawn, it means that they are on the same wavelength, we'll call it. Or like they're you have an emotional connection of some sort yes. where there's connection, I guess. Right. Yeah. So if, if someone is a sociopath or a psychopath and they do not yawn when you yawn, it means there's nothing happening. They're not picking up on any of the signals you're sending out, whether they're subconscious or biological, anything like that. They're just, there's zero connection, zero additivity. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that numerous times. And to the point where like when Harrison was younger and I would yawn and like, and he didn't really yawn that much at that point. I was like, I would watch him and be like, Oh God, what if he doesn't respond? Oh God. What if he's a Slytherin? Yeah. No, it's okay um, if he's Slytherin. He's definitely Slytherin. First of all. Well, I mean, he's Although also I feel like two years old. Are. All two years old are, are uh, Slytherins. Yeah, probably. I think we sort too early. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a fact. Onward to tickling. Yes. Yes. People vary in how sensitive they are to tickling. Some people are often ticklish, um, and while others are not ticklish at all. Scientists have discussed the tickle response for hundreds of years, yet researchers are only just beginning to understand why some people are ticklish and what purposes this strange response might actually serve. All right. There are two types of tickling with different causes. There is... uh, Nismesis. Yeah. Okay. Why not? Uh, which is a light skin irritation, such as a bug walking on your skin, uh, which triggers an urge to brush it away. 
Some believe this response may actually protect against insect bites. A person can tickle themselves in this way. So like the classic, like taking a feather and just, you know, like tickling someone with a feather. That very light brush up against the skin, which emulates a bug. Um, Yeah, you don't laugh. You're just like, get it off me. Exactly, which kind of gives that sort of response, which people think that would be biologically why you have that response. Right. Then there is gargalesis. Gargalesis. Gargaliosis. I don't know. Uh, It's a more intense tickling, the kind that causes people to laugh when someone repeatedly touches a sensitive area of the body. People cannot tickle themselves in this way. No. So you can tickle yourself with the light brushing of your fingers against your skin, but you can't tickle yourself with the other one. Um, It's like you can pick your nose, you can pick your friend's nose, but no, what is it? (laughs) You can... What is it? <laughs> you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but no, you can't, you pick, can't your friend's pick your friends' nose. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so some people believe that the tickle response might actually be protective. The most ticklish body parts are almost the most vulnerable ones, such as the mm. abdomen and throat. An automatic reflex-like response to push away the cause of the tickle could help protect these sensitive areas. There's a lot of glands and a lot of... Um, uh, like arteries in the armpit as well. So protecting those very vulnerable right. areas as well could also be yeah. a part of it, right? Um, tickling may be a reflexive response. Some people do not enjoy being tickled, but it can still cause a laughter reflex. However, yeah. in the same way that a person may cry when cutting onions without necessarily feeling sad, laughter does not always indicate enjoyment. No. In 2013, a group of scientists placed people in a brain scanner and then tickled their feet. They found that an area of the brain related to involuntary responses, the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus, sorry, was active when tickling generated laughter. This suggests that the tickle response is involuntary. That mm. even though you hate it, you're still laughing. Right. The authors also noticed that the brain might process tickling as a painful experience. It might explain why some people recoil in response to tickling and why many tickling games involve chasing someone who is trying to get away. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Although some consensual tickling can be a positive, playful experience, non-consensual tickling can be frightening, uncomfortable, and painful for the recipient. Yeah. Heinz Hager, a man imprisoned in the Flossenbürg concentration camp during World War II, witnessed Nazi prison guards perform tickle torture on a fellow inmate. Heinz Hager was his pen name. His real name was Joseph Kohut. An article displays that he took accounts of people being tickled to death in the concentration camp. (gasps) He describes this incident in his book, The Men with the Pink Triangle. The first game that the SS sergeant and his men played was to tickle their victim with goose feathers on the soles of their feet, between their legs and in their armpits, and on other parts of the naked body. At first, the prisoner forced himself to keep silent, while his eyes twitched in fear and torment from one SS man to the other. Then he could not restrain himself, and finally he broke out in a high-pitched laughter that very soon turned into a cry of pain. While the tears ran down his face and his body twisted against his chains, uh, as well, this tickling torture let the lad hang there for a very long time. With, uh, with a flood of tears ran down his cheeks, and he cried and sobbed uncontrollably. 
So in many accounts of this, so uh, this is where it's a little bit conflicting. Because remember how I said earlier that Catherine and I talked a little bit about this before I did mm-hmm. the topic? Yeah. She wanted to know about tickling, and she wanted to know if you could be tickled to death. And she Googled right. it, and that was the account that she found, that someone was like, oh, yeah, in back in Nazi Germany in the concentration camps, they were tickled to death. But wow. I read different accounts. One was that they just were tortured and left there. Another right. uh, was that um, they were actually yeah, tickled it wasn't to the, death. Yeah, it wasn't the ticking that killed them in some accounts. Yeah. So an article in the British Medical Journal describes a European method of tickle torture in which a goat was compelled to lick the victim's feet after they had been dipped in salt water. Once the goat had licked the salt off, the victim's feet would then be dipped in salt water again, and the process would repeat itself over and over again. In ancient Japan, authority figures could administer punishment to those convicted of crimes that were beyond the criminal code. This was called shikai, which translates as private punishment. One such torture was kuzikeri zemin, maybe, which translates roughly uh, to merciless tickling. In his book, Sibling Abuse, Vernon Vai published his research findings regarding 150 adults who were abused by their siblings during childhood. Several reported tickling as a type of physical abuse they experienced, and based on these reports, it was revealed that abuse of tickling is capable of provoking extreme physiological reactions in the victim, such as vomiting, uh, in- incontinence, which is losing control of your bladder, and lot. Sorry, thank you. Incontinence. <laughs> Incontinence. Funny. Well done. Incontinence. <laughs> losing control of your bladder and loss of consciousness due to inability to breathe. Yeah. Um, one of the things that they said which was causing death um, would be brain aneurysm or inability wow. to yeah, so it and because your stress levels were so high because you're being um, tortured with tickling that you would uh, that it would be stress induced heart attacks, stress induced aneurysm or stroke. Um all these different things. Like you're kind of you're kind of right in saying like the tickling didn't kill them, but like the tickling killed them. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um and going back to what you said about Harrison, uh they said that babies and infants will not actually recognize tickling as a stimulus until they're about six or seven months old where Uh they recognize that the stimulus should be a part of laughter and they Uh associate laughter and joy with the stimulus because the parents are going tickle 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 and they're basing that response off of that so they laugh and joy and and do it but in response later down the road it can be um actually quite abusive yeah, Not to say I, don't tickle your child, but no, like, no, no. But I, uh, I've read articles about it because I, I saw it shared. And I was like, oh, I want to read this yeah. um, because you know a, a lot of adults were interviewed and they were like, you know, my parents tickled me and like you know it was meant to be a fun activity, um, yeah. But I didn't like it and I could never get away and I didn't ever tell like my dad or my mom or whoever that I didn't like it because they thought it was an enjoyment. Uh, 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 you know what I mean? It wasn't. They weren't doing it to be mean. No. They were doing it for. They thought it was funny, and they thought that I thought it was funny because I was laughing, and I like, exactly. I didn't have it in me to tell them the difference. Exactly. So, like, yeah, I, yeah. ever since I read that article, I'm so conscious of whenever I'm tickling them because sometimes Harrison just like, "Daddy, tickle me." I'll never tickle for very long before I stop and then wait. And if he says "tickle me again" or more tickling, then I'll tickle him again. But like, I'm always cognizant of if I go to tickle him or do something, he's like, "No, stop that!" Even if he's laughing, I'm like, "Okay, done, over." Yeah. 
it's like a dog in the, like not to compare your child with a dog but like <laughs> a dog will often do something that it knows is bad for it but because it wants the temporary or actually you know what even better it's re- regular humans regular humans will drink and smoke and take temporary gain over prolonged negative effects like consistent constant smoking is obviously bad for you but positively in the short term it is good for you because it relieves your stress right right but yeah but in that sense then it is actually uh like i enjoy drinking because i can't right now so that's on my mind (laughs) yeah like i enjoy a drink Uh but and like yes in, in the long run it's negative but it doesn't make me enjoy it less Right? Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. So like yeah. for for the tickling portion, it is a short-term positive reaction mm. based on your positive reaction of the action. There's a lot of actions and reactions. Um but in the long term, they end up not enjoying it. They're like this is not an enjoyable experience for me. I don't know. Potentially. Food for thought. Poten- exactly, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll never know cuz it's stimulus based on another person. He could be yeah. a psychopath and be like tickle me again. Well, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so those are all of my involuntary bodily functions. I like the choices. I think they were great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, those were uh, those are all the ones I wanted you to hit up. Good. And and I learned a lot of things. Did you? I did. Do you have any questions, concerns, issues? Always. But we're gonna have to oh. talk about them in private. Mm. I don't want you to tell well, me anymore. Indeed. Well, folks, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your break. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, boss. Now, Jeff, it's really important that we breeze through this because I just ordered some Mary Browns and it's going to be on the way. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. Giddy up now. Giddy up. (laughs) So, everyone, today, I'm this evening. Well, today for you is when it's Friday. I am going to do the Aurora Borealis. Mm. Aurora Borealis. I hardly even knows her. Nobody. Buddy, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to say no, but that was that was <laughs> beyond did. a stretch. That was like you bend down, turn around, stretch, and then it still doesn't work. <laughs> um, so, but this came up because I I can't believe this wasn't on the list because I find it very intriguing. But a friend of mine posted a face uh, posted on Facebook a picture of the Northern Lights, which is what Aurora Borealis is. In case you didn't know, yes. And I was like, man, it must be incredible to see that in person. And, like, if mm. you live somewhere where you can see them, like, can you always see them? Like, are they just, like, are they sick of the Northern Lights now? The Northern Lights just, like, St. John's Fog to those who see them all the time. <laughs> like, they're just, like, who cares? They don't even look up anymore, it's, like, unless they got a sneeze. It's a jelly bean row of the Arctic. Um, an aurora is of Latin origin, meaning dawn. Aurora was the Roman goddess of sunrise. Uh, Borealis okay. refers to where this aurora happens, uh, which derives from the term boreal, like the boreal forest, meaning where's the boreal the forest or relating oh, to the, the northern north. hemisphere. Okay. Uh, this distinction is important because there is more than just one aurora. To every ying, there is a yang. To every Jeff, there is an Evan. To every oh. Borealis, there is an Australis. Ooh. So the Australis, like Australia, deriving from austral, meaning of the south or relating to the southern hemisphere. So we Any as, relation to Austria? 
Uh, no, none. Zero. Okay, cool. Because uh, that's in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, I know because I did Spoke. geography, remember? <laughs> yeah, not sports. <laughs> <laughs> we as Canadians or Northerners always hear, oh, it's the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis. But I've never thought, why do we need that descriptor? Like, if the Northern Lights were the only ones, we could just call them the Lights. If we need the descriptor of Northern. But in fact, we do need it because there's the Aurora Australis, which is the Southern Lights. Uh, and really, they're this, the exact same phenomenon, but happening on either end of the globe. Interesting. So there's two sets of them? Yeah. Well, they're the same thing. They happen at the exact same time. Okay. Are they uh, like identical when they happen? No. I'll get to that. So before uh, we had science telling us exactly how this happens, we had the hypothesis of loads and loads of idiots just taking their best stab at it. <laughs> um, as far back as the 4th century BC, Pythias, the Greek explorer, was writing about the auroras. Pliny the Elder, you remember Pliny? And his nephew, yes, Pli- I do. Pliny the Younger. Yeah. Um, well, um, he was the one who told us about the um, eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Pliny yes, the and he's actually here again tonight. <laughs> Plinius, come on Pliny in, buddy. middle-aged. Yeah. Um, Pliny the Elder was the one who got rained upon by the fiery ash. So before that happened, he depicted the aurora in his writings entitled Natural History as falling red flames and daylight in the night. At one Ugh. point, an aurora formed so intense and red above the city of Ostia that a battalion of the army actually galloped to the rescue of what they assumed to be a city on fire. What? It was not. City on fire. No. City on fire. <laughs> Name that musical. I, I have no idea. Sweeney Todd. I don't know Sweeney Todd well. I know. We've had this discussion, and I'm really sad about it every time. And I hope the next time I bring it up, you go, hey, man, I'm, I know it so well now. Yeah, um, I tried to put it on the other day, and Catherine was having none of it. Not the movie. Movie's bad. Well, you, well, oh, you just want me to listen to the show? No, I want you to watch a specific live concert version. Okay, I will. I'll send you the YouTube link. It's Patty LePone, George Hearn, great time. Everybody, I'll okay. put it on. I'll put it on the Splane and Facebook page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so everyone can do it. China has the oldest kept records on Aurora sightings, which is like you know who's surprised there. Go home, China. You're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently, Wikipedia says, on an autumn day around 2000 BC, a young woman named Fubei was sitting alone in the wilderness by the bay, when suddenly a magical band of light appeared like moving clouds and flowing water, turned into a bright halo around the Big Dipper, illuminating the earth and making shapes and shadows seem alive. Moved by the sight, Fubei became pregnant and gave birth to a son, the emperor Xianyuan, known as the initiator of Chinese culture and the ancestor of all Chinese people. Huh. To which I think, moved by this sight, she became pregnant? Like, she was so moved, she went and found herself a man and they got it on? Or like, she was impregnated by the light? Like, what do you mean? Well, that seems to be a consistent theme over a lot of ancient, you know, civilizations. Are the people who just like become pregnant just cause? It's a weird thing, actually. A lot of um, like immaculate like, conceptions. You mean? Yes, immaculate conceptions. Like a lot of religions and old. Um, I guess. What am I trying to say here? Um, societies will worship people, but it also comes down to like almost everybody who's worshipped or, or thought after was came from an immaculate con- conception. Yeah, that is true. Um, so in this case. Same deal. Um, so 
I mean, we just said it's China, so crazy old records. But there are, I'm thinking, like, 40,000 links on that, like, broken telephone line. So maybe that's mm. not at all how it happened. Maybe, like, Fubei was just, like, made a tent in a park and it was dark inside the tent. A squirrel ran out, but no one saw it run in. So everyone thought she gave birth to the squirrel. And they worshipped him for thousands of years. Who's to say, Jeff? Who is to say? Um, in Aboriginal Australia, the um, Aurora Australis was commonly associated with bushfires in the spirit world, or an evil spirit creating a large fire that the dairy people referred to as Coochie. Ooh, isn't that a delightful name for an evil spirit? Like, not really that Coochie. evil. Coochie. Coochie. Coochie um, Well, not when you say it like that. <laughs> Coochie. Coochie. Yeah, that, you're right. Uh, for some tribes of Australia, sacred law forbade anyone except male elders from watching or interpreting the messages of the ancestors that they believed to be transmitted through the aurora. Okay. You know, back to the old misogyny at its finest. Mm-hmm. Only the men. In Norse mythology, and this brings me to a correction that I didn't know that I had, the Norwegian chronicle Konung Skugsa, which I referred to either last week or the week before, I can't remember. Um, when was I talking about something to do with Norse? Mm. Wouldn't have been last week. Wouldn't have been Alexander the Great. What did I do no. two weeks ago? Can't remember. Me either. Anyway, I referred to this Kunung Skuksa, and I couldn't remember if it was a person or a thing. And I was just like, eh, whatever, it's a guy. It's not a guy. It's a chronicle. It's like the name of like the Norse um, like legends. And oh. in it, three possible answers are given explaining the Aurora Borealis. And once again, the Norse are smoking the right grass. Yep. A, they say, the ocean was surrounded by vast fires. Maybe not, but hey, that's only your first mm. guess. B, yep. the sun flares could reach around the world to the night side. So like if you're on the day side, the, s- the sun's light is growing around the sky to when it's dark. Ooh. You're seeing it. It's like, not bad, buys. How, how progressive for uh, a society that thought the world was flat. I know. And then also That's where they you thought, talked about it, the flat earth. That's what it was. You're right. Um, and then glaciers could store energy so that they eventually became fluorescent. Mm, getting colder. <laughs> Maybe. Pun intended. Um, well, in 1778, old Ben Franklin wrote in his paper, this is the title, Aurora Borealis Suppositions and Conjectures Towards Forming a Hypothesis for Its Explanation. Which is like, <laughs> did you need to write the paper? In the title, you no. basically said, like, this paper is my ramblings about forming a theory, about forming a guess, about forming an explanation of maybe why the Northern <laughs> Lights do stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, who's to say what the stronger <laughs> title is? But I just think Ben yes. lacked confidence. Like, he didn't want to be like, this is how it happens, fight me. He was like, I know, you. I want to go for an approach of science, so it's all a theory. So, like, maybe mm-hmm. this, maybe that, maybe this. Yep. So, fast forward to more people throwing spaghetti at a wall, and let's get to what yep. the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, let me tell you. Our son, son, Mr. Golden Son, is about 93 miles, 93 million miles away. The sun's energy lies in its core. It's essentially like a n- natural nuclear reactor. The temperature it at is. the core of the sun is over 14 million degrees with pressure so intense that hydrogen atoms are squeezed together to create helium. Yeah. This nuclear reaction releases energy and the light produced from this reactor radiates outwards from the core. In the outer layers, the heat moves to the surface through convection cells, which are essentially electrical currents made of charged gas. These currents actually create magnetic fields inside the sun. I didn't think when I started this I was going to be talking about the sun at all. Really? Really. Did you? Yes. You thought that the northern lights were caused by the sun? Well, yeah. 
Oh, I didn't know. Um, so some magnetic fields just can't be contained inside the sun. They're just destined for greater things. Like they're like, I want to be on the great white way. <laughs> I have often dreamed <laughs> yeah. of a far off place. Hey, home, man. Hey, that man. They just got to go. <laughs> um, so they push their way up through the surface, which slows the waves of hot gas. The surface cools and dark sunspots appear. The magnetic field is dragged further outwards by the creation of plasma. Plasma. <laughs> this magnetic field then stretches and twists like a rubber band, sort of doing like a little figure eight thing is how it looked in the video that I was watching. And like anything you stretch or twist too much, like my back, it breaks. <laughs> so if you're picturing that figure eight, it breaks in the middle where the two balls join. Don't say anything. I heard that when I said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to yell. I was like, well. And the top part of that figure eight, the Dwight ball, um, <laughs> gets thrown into space, taking with it several billion tons of plasma. And this is what we call a solar storm. So now we've got these tons of plasma flying at a manageable 8 million kilometers per hour. So within six hours, it's cruising by Mercury. 12 hours, sub Venus, looking fine. After 18 hours, Earth, how's she cutting? How's she cutting? What happens next looks amazing in the video that I watched and makes so much sense when you see the image that now I will do a less than mediocre job describing that image to you. Yes, please do. So as I say, storm blows through Mercury and Venus. But when it gets to Earth, we've got our own force field. The Earth's magnetic field deflects the storm. And these two opposing fields join together and create a funnel, streaming the gas into the daylight side of the two poles. This is known as the daylight aurora. The magnetic fields stretch further now on the other side of the Earth. The magnetic rubber band joining these two fields breaks, and gas from the solar storm runs along the magnetic lines, imaginary lines obviously, towards the poles on the night side of the Earth. This is the nighttime aurora. So when the charged particles from the sun, the plasma, make their way to the end of the magnetic lines, they strike the atoms and molecules in Earth's atmosphere. These atoms get excited. They're like, ooh, plasma, you're from the sun? Oh my God, I've always ooh. wanted to go to the sun. <laughs> and then they light up. And I think we may have covered this, probably you, but in case we haven't, because I'm an idiot and I retain nothing. Other than that, the other day, <laughs> Tiffany and I were talking, she's like, so what do you remember from like, everything that you've done in the podcast? And I was like, I remember that reindeer and caribou are the same thing. That's about it. <laughs> like, that will stay with me forever. Beyond that, not a whole lot. Um, oh, but good. in case we didn't cover it or in case we all forget, exciting an atom is when electrons move to higher energy orbits further away from the nucleus. Then, when the electron moves back to the lower energy orbit, it releases a particle of light or called a photon. Yeah. So basically, as it comes down from, like, the high it's experiencing it, it releases its high, and that high is light. Mm -hmm. So it's similar. We talked about that during the X-ray episode. There we go. I knew it came up at some point. <clears throat> it's similar to what happens in any neon sign that you see, at like a convenience store. In that case, rather than a storm of plasma, electricity is the thing that excites neon gas, charging the atoms, mm -hmm. and then when they go back to the lower energy orbit, they give off the light by releasing the photon. Yeah. So the aurora often appears in a variety of patterns or shapes. They're described as patches, arcs, rays, coronas, and sometimes curtains, just in like the physical shape they take in the sky. Sure. The shape that a person sees is determined by the magnetic channels the particles are following in that moment, and also the person's position on the globe. Yep. The colors that um, we see have to do with wavelengths of light, 
And for that, we go to our resident expert on wave legs, Jeff Sims, everybody. Jeff, are you there? I am here. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor. Thank you so much. So wave legs, can you just uh, give us a little refresher on wave legs there, bud? Yes. <clears throat> well... To start from the no. <laughs> no, there's about seven episodes where you please, can learn about please it. Please see in the index in the bottom of this page. It says please see episodes seven, eight, nine, eleven, twelve, fourteen, and ten. You stop. <laughs> um, so, in fact, the colors and wavelengths we see are dependent on which gas is reacting with the sun's energy. Hmm. So, fun fact: every gas gives off its own specific color of light when it releases a photon, and its own stink. Also, that. It's like a fingerprint for gases. No two gases emit exactly the same color, which I thought was fascinating. Ooh, um, that's actually interesting. So, like, yeah. more than can emit, like, more, two gases can emit red, but it will never be the same shade of red. So, I guess it's truly the colors of the wind. Yes, indeed. Um, high in the ionosphere, oxygen is the most common atom, and collisions... Where there... is it? Ionosphere? Yeah, I-O-N-O, sphere. How high up is that? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Pretty high. Um, collisions there with oxygen can create a red aurora, but it's not often seen um, because it's so high up. The reactions had to be quite intense to actually see that, um, for your eyes to discern that color. Uh, mostly we see green and sometimes yellow because that's the reaction of oxygen at lower altitudes. Um, yeah. Nitrogen molecules around 100 kilometers above the Earth produce a red light, which we often see on the bottom of the auroral curtains. Uh, mm -hmm. So the norm is big, like normally what you're seeing when you look at pictures of the northern lights. Almost all the time you see green, a whole lot of green. Yeah. Sometimes a bit of red on the bottom. So that's why. It's low oxygen um, altitudes and then the low nitrogen. And those are the colors that your eye perceives most. Now, you can yes. see other colors. Lighter gases like hydrogens um, make colors like blues and purples, uh, but our eyes can't always see them. But good photographic film can sometimes be more sensitive to some colors than your eyes. Yeah, I was in... going to say, sometimes when I see pictures, it seems like a like a deeper like brownish purplish sometimes as well, yeah. mixed with the green. So there's lots of times you're actually looking at the northern lights, you take a picture, and there will be more colors in the picture than were what you were actually seeing. Yeah. And not because they weren't there, but because... Well, no, it's because your, your eye can't pick up those wavelengths. Yeah. So... Um... Uh, oh, so sometimes when one section of the reaction meets another, two colors can mix too. So we get some yellows and pinks sometimes visible from this rare occurrence. You know, like when primary colors mix, Jeff. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> can, you, like, you know, can you lighten what those are? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope. Nope. Um, I can tell you the spectrum of wavelengths. So then, rather than rhyming off a lot of bunch of cool stuff about auroras and a thrilling and breathtaking conclusion... You will find out what is true and what is false in a little game we like to call True and False. Oh, yeah! Um, and this is, if you recall, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I had a surprise for you. You did indeed. And the surprise for you is this. In episode two of season two, you did some True and False. And you and I sort of like made up on the spot and sang this hilarious True and False song. Okay. <laughs> I then took that song. No. And like every sound that we made in that like 20 seconds, I turned into music. You stop it. So I have a true and false jingle now that is exactly <laughs> yes. what we did. So first I'm going to play you the clip. I'll probably have to put this in later, but hopefully you can hear it. So I'll play you the clip of episode two, you and I coming up with the song, okay? Okay. I'm nervous. Here we go. Yeah. I have... Uh... 
Yeah. I have one last thing for us tonight. Okay. A bit of true and false. True and false. I love me some true and false. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. True and false is true and false time. Okay. So that's what we came up with, right? <laughs> so right down to you and your... um. Yes, I added yes, the drums. Yes. I added Excellent. the bass line that I came up with. I added your vocals. Yes. So would you like to hear what I've come up with, Jeff? <laughs> oh my god, yes, please. Okay. This is it. It's called the true and false jingle. I love me some true and false. <laughs> true and false, it's true and false, babe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to True and False. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my Mary Brown's arrived. What a perfect timing. Hang on. All keep right, rolling. Always. Yes, I'm going to keep rolling. Oh God, that was just about the funniest thing I think I've ever heard. It's True and False time. Oh God. Well done. Oh, God, I can't wait to uh, for you to actually send me the audio file so I can hear it a little bit clearer. But that was that with all the work that you have done in the past musically, I think this by far is your most um, prestigious work. Oh, yeah. It didn't take me that long because I was just like it was already done for me. All I did was just like replicate the sounds that already existed. Do you know what it reminds me of? It's about the guy who farted. Did you ever see the guy who farted and made a like a like a concerto? Yes, like, yes, I did. It's like the, it was like and then he just made this like little thing. Anyways, uh, a well done. Thank you. B, you realize now you have to circle back to every episode that we've ever done true and false and add it in. No, uh, it's from here on out. Okay, every subsequent episode, yeah. we'll do it from from here. Will uh, we? So you have to let me know in future whenever you're going to do true and false. Well, we okay. So I guess from here on in, so we're not going to include the true and false that I did earlier. No, I can't put it backwards because it wouldn't have explained it. Oh, true. Okay, so true and false time. It's true and false time. It's true and false time. Can you play the jingle for us? Uh, yeah. You want it again? Uh, absolutely. It's true and false time. Okay, here it is. Love me some true and false. <laughs> true and false, it's true and false, babe. <laughs> 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 uh, it's just so good. It's so great for the uh, yeah. For, God, that's good. Okay, all right. Okay, so true, it's true uh, and false number time. one, the Aurora has a noise. False. Aurora noise, similar to hissing or crackling noise, begins about 70 meters above the Earth's ah, surface shit. and is caused by charged particles in an inversion layer of the atmosphere formed during a cold night. Inversion is like when warmer air is held above cooler air, which is like the opposite of what normally happens with air. Um, mm-hmm. So the charged particles discharge when particles from the sun hit the inversion layer, creating a noise. It just actually sounds like crackling. Okay. Cool. So wrong. So Swing and a miss. Number two. The magnetic field during an aurora can replace battery power on Earth. Oh. 
Uh, I, uh, false. It's also true. Damn it. On the night of September 2nd, 1859, two operators of the American Telegraph Line between Boston and Portland, Maine, had this conversation. Uh, I better do a Boston accent so you can tell which one's which. I can't yes, do a Boston please accent. Do. Boston, Boston. I'm from Boston. Yeah, Boston. yeah, yeah, Boston. Yeah. Please cut off your Boston. battery entirely for 15 minutes. We'll do so. It is now disconnected. Moin is disconnected, and we are working with the auroral current. How do you receive my writing? Better than with batteries on. Current comes and goes gradually. My current is very strong at times, but we can work better without the batteries as the Aurora seems... To- I can only do like a JFK. So. I was going to say, you sound just like JFK. <laughs> as the Aurora seems to neutralize and augment our batteries, alternatively making current too strong at times for our relay magnets. So basically the... See, what? I, I, I feel like that if it was an actual like utilizable source of energy that we would have tried to optimize on it and no, 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 we would no, no, have no. heard of it. You can't because it's also random. It's not. It doesn't happen all the time. But what was happening was the aurora. I mean, rarely does the aurora ever even be seen in Boston because it's so much lower on the um, latitudinal lines, right? Sure. But on this time in 1859, you could actually see it in Boston. It was there, and it was so the magnetic magnetic field was so strong that it was affecting their um, uh, telegraphs. Um, so when they found that they turned their batteries off, then they could actually just go on the power from the magnetic field. And then once the aurora was over, they just turned the batteries back on. Okay. I think I misunderstood the question a little bit. I still probably would have said false, but I think I misunderstood it. But yeah, cool. It powered something that was battery powered. So that was my question. Now, yeah, I'm more so, I, I more so went in the instance where it happened, could it replace the uh, batteries on Earth? Like permanently. No, no, no. Like in that instance, could it replace any like battery all, on Earth? Oh, well, then, all yeah, batteries. It, Oh, not all, oh, oh, yeah. No, not all batteries. Okay. No, so, and that's why I was like, mm. Well, we'll give you half a point. No. Um, number three. I oh, my God. Wrong. That big Mary smells so good. Uh, number three. Earth is the only planet to experience auroras. Uh, false. Correct. Any planet with a magnetic field can experience them. Jupiter and Saturn both have magnetic fields stronger than Earth's. Auroras have hmm. been also observed. Uh, Neptune as well as Uranus, Jeff. Oh, great. Yes. My, yep. my, my bum. Yep. Uh, number four, way more people have seen the northern lights than the southern lights. Uh, true. It is true. Population is not a factor, though. Because uh, were you thinking, like, there's just more people in the northern hemisphere? Uh, kind of. Right. Uh, the issue is where it actually happens. So that we, the northern hemisphere is much more populated further north like closer to the poles whereas yes. antarctica is huge and no one lives there in the southern hemisphere. yes that's that's where i went i was yeah. going mm, and yes that's yeah. where i was going so the southern auroras are not often seen because they're concentrated in a ring around antarctica and the southern indian ocean the northern lights can be seen in northwestern parts of canada yukon none of it northwest territories alaska greenland iceland northern norway northern siberia plus more so there's i didn't like, know it was that many places actually if i'm being honest yeah as long I as i actually didn't over, know it could um, be seen in canada at all yeah, it can be seen. I didn't in, know that. In, um, depending on how low it goes, it can be seen at sometimes in the prairies as well. In southern shore? Am I sure? No, in the southern shore. Not in the southern shore. No. Mm, too bad. Um, number five. How you doing? I, don't, I haven't keep track. You're one out of three so I, far. No, two. I have two. Two right. Yeah. Two right. Two wrong. There are there are seven. So you need four for a uh, pass. Yep. Um, number five, the northern lights happen randomly throughout the year and have appeared consistently for thousands of years. 
Doesn't isn't that statement contradictory? They um, are they are random but happen consistent. They're consistently random. Um, yes, let's go with that. They're consistently random. I'm gonna go with false. <laughs> I'm gonna go with false because your grammar sucks, Evan. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is false. Researchers have discovered that auroral activity is actually cyclic. Cyclic? Cyclic. Cyclic. Uh, it peaks roughly every 11 years. So actually, like, it sort of fades out for a while. There's not very many. And then all of a sudden, it goes, like, hits a peak, and we get them all the time. Whoa, 11 years. How long yep. does it last every 11 years? I don't know. The next peak time is 2024, though. Holy crap. Yep. Cool. Uh, number six, the Aurora Borealis and the Aurora Australis are mirror images of each other. Now, this is kind of not fair, because I already told you the answer. Yes. True. So it's false. you asked me at the beginning are they the same and i said no i'll talk about that later so for a long time scientists thought they would be the same um and they actually would be because you're of the way that you know the it's just the plasma rays getting pulled to the poles so they would be pulled equally however um the sun's magnetic field um, makes it so that they aren't the same. It actually stretches out the magnetic field lines on Earth on the nighttime side. So the side closest to, or sorry, furthest from the sun, the magnetic field lines get stretched out. The side closest to the sun, they get squished. So the patterns will appear differently, sort of like um, tides with gravity in the moon. You remember how the Earth sort of like bows out with the water? Yeah. Do you remember that? I do, yes. I said yes. Oh, sorry. You, your um, audio was cutting out. And okay, yeah, no, no. lastly... Number seven, Aurora, the Roman goddess, has two siblings, Yaris, meaning day, and Marae, meaning night. True. False. Yaris and Marae are models of cars by Toyota. (laughs) Her siblings... I knew Yaris was, and I was like, but I can definitely picture Toyota. Yeah. Uh, her siblings are Sol, the sun, and Luna, the moon. She does have two siblings, but they are not yeah. um, models of cars by Toyota. Yeah. So, everybody, that is your true and false. Are you going to play it at the end as well? Are you going to play it at the beginning and the end? Here we go. Oh, wait. Hang on. Here we go. Play. I love me some true and false. <laughs> true and false. It's true and false, man. <laughs> So get used to it. It's the true and false jingle. It's going to be back frequently. Oh, God, that's great. That, that brings me so much joy. Yeah, I can't wait to send you the actual clip. I, it was so uh, hard to hold it in. It was just a secret I did not want to keep. I'm very I'm very happy that you kept it because it's everything I I, uh, I could have ever wanted. <laughs> and more. Honestly. I was on a walk today. I was saying to Jeff, I was like, I know I feel like I've sort of built up the surprise, but I really don't think I could build it up high enough. Like, I can't possibly let you down with this one. The amount of things that were going through my head of like what you what it could possibly be, it, I was going from everywhere from like you guys were pregnant again to different ideas for like my bachelor party. I was like, I have no idea where this is going to land on that spectrum. Right, right, but, right. But but it landed at the highest possible peak. <laughs> this is better than you guys having another child. And oh my god, celebration is it ever? Of my, of I would, my that would not be a happy occurrence. Ah! Um, okay, wrap this up because that big Mary sounds sweet. And my phone's gonna die. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just let's just let's just clue it up. Cool. So great episode. <laughs> so as always, please follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Like and share and follow. Uh, 
We would love it if you rate and reviewed as well. You know, Apple Podcasts is probably really the only place to do it that really matters to us. You can do it wherever you want. I mean, it, it it's good for our hearts, but rate and review will it actually is. be good for our um, wallets. Well, not Maybe. our wallet, just our <laughs> subscribership. <laughs> there we Hopefully, go. Hopefully, later, later down the road, our our wallets. Um, as always, if you have a topic you would like to send in, you want Splain to you, email us at info.splainit at gmail.com. Do it. We hope you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always next week. Okay, go get your Mary Browns. Oh, God, I'm so jealous. It's not even Monday. It's Tuesday. God, I'd kill for a Big Mary on a Monday. I'd kill for a Big Mary on a Tuesday. Who's kidding who? I'd have a Big Mary just about any day of the week. Tater poutine. Oh, some gravy. God, I'm hungry.